great to see you, brothers and sisters. It's really sweet to be able to see other believers and to discuss and to look into the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5, which, you know, we're just continuing on the same list of verses that we've been going through. I have been preaching through the book of Amos for the last little while, and we're just going to be continuing at the next couple of verses. So we're going to be reading from Amos chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 16, you know, right after the 15 where we ended last time. Give you a minute to open your Bibles. Yay. I love the sound of rustling pages. It means you're opening the Word. It's great. All right, the word, of the, the word of God says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you desire, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikketh your king and Kion your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Not the most uplifting passage I could have uh, read this morning. Uh, I know on a dark kind of fall morning, it's not great to start in this kind of a passage. This is, by the way, one of the difficult parts of, you know, one of the things that we do as a church. We exegetically preach through books of the Bible. Uh, the reason we do it is pretty simple. We need to learn how to read the Word of God accurately and well. We need to be strengthened by the things that God has desired to strengthen us with. And we need to make sure that we don't avoid the things we don't want to hear. And honestly, I, I don't often want to hear a lot of what Amos has to say sometimes. 
It's actually not a very common to hear people preach through the minor prophets like this. People will usually take one or two verses. You would have noticed that verse, uh, let righteousness uh, rain down like mighty waters. Uh, I think, anyway, I'll get, I gotta get the verse right in a few minutes when I preach through it. But it's a very common verse that many people are going to preach, but they very rarely preach the things around it. And I think that undercuts some of the necessity, some of the need, some of the benefit that we as believers need to find from the text of Scripture. I should also under, uh, underscore, uh, as preachers here, we don't preach to people outside our church. Uh, the closest we're going to come is the fact that we have cameras behind us, and you can be watching this on YouTube right now. But what we are looking for in Scripture is what God is saying to us as believers this morning. And what God seems to be saying this morning, and remember where we were in the book of Amos from before this. Amos is a prophet speaking in the northern kingdom of Israel before the fall of Israel and its uh, exile into the Assyrian Empire. It's a time when everybody is wealthy, everybody thinks they're good and godly and God is blessing them and they think everything is going fine and Amos is here to tell you this is going to fall apart. Things are going to go wrong because you, though you think you have been godly, though you think you have been kind and good and noble and all things good, you haven't been. You've instead created a God in your own image and you've started to follow it. And the worst part, the tragic part about it, and this is the tragic part we see in, in Amos chapter 5, verses 16 to 27, you honestly believe you're righteous while you're actually completely opposed to God. How would that happen? How could it possibly happen that a people that God has worked among, a people who God has blessed, who called out of Egypt, has been leading through kings and through prophets for hundreds of years, how could it be that they would be turned away from God? I think it's important that we recognize this because it's a, it's a process that can happen to all of us. It can happen to churches, it can happen to individuals, it can happen to entire groups of people. Uh, the process starts very, very well. We hear the, go and, and this is what, we, what happens to us in, as Christians. We hear the gospel, we know God, we're filled with joy, we rightly want to please God. We, we, we understand, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We understand that God, seeing our failure and our inability to follow him, our complete ruin in sin, instead of turning away from us, he saved us. And instead of counting our evils against us, he took those evils himself on the cross of Christ and gave us instead his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazingly good news. 
And I, I don't have a lot of time to go through just all of the amazing things that there, that there are about this good news, but let's, let's remember that this is the way that if you are saved this morning, that's what you came to believe. That's what the gospel is, that God being rich in mercy and grace saves sinners of whom we are the foremost. And so God has done this great thing for us, and so we want to please him. And that's why we live our lives in ways that are meant to be obedient to God, because we love the God who saved us. Not because we need to be made acceptable to him, but because he has made us acceptable to him through his own blood. But then... Then we come up to the war against our sin, which is a real war. We really do need to be fighting against the sin in our lives. Whatever the sins are in each of our cases, each and every one of us have our own problems, our own failings, our own ways that we reject God. And we need to slowly over time, through the sanctifying work of God's Holy Spirit, change our lives to be in keeping with God. And by his grace, he does that. But here's where things go awry. We start to see God working in our lives, and we imagine God must be very pleased because of my godliness. God must be quite happy that I have become godly. Then we start to make gradations among us well, uh, you know, Steve is standing in the pulpit, so he's probably on the high level of godliness. And so, but I'm kind of a little bit under Steve, but I'm much higher than these other people over here. We've got all different levels of godliness, and I'm going to judge these guys over here because they're not quite as godly as me, and I'm far more godly than they are. I'm sorry if I get uh, if my uh, voice gets a little bit harsh at this point. This, by the way, is a slip into heresy and evil when you start to do this. But we do it so easily. Usually we'll have really good desires, really good intentions behind it. We'll desire to see people come to know God a little bit better, to be freed from their sin. That's a good and a noble thing to desire, but we do it by imagining that they need to be a little bit more like me. Spoiler alert, by the way, nobody should try to be like me. Just saying. I am not the ultimate in godliness. That's Jesus. You need to be like him. But I can find myself doing this. And, and I've had some things that God has worked out in my life. I've been Christian long enough that I've seen places where God has granted me victory over specific sins. And so, yes, I can possibly help some people get some wisdom as to how to deal with that. But the problem is going to be if I do that, believing that I'm more righteous than this other person, that I can rely a little bit more on my own righteousness than they can, when I don't point them to Christ, but I point them to myself, I've fallen into problems. It gets worse. I get arrogant slowly. I don't recognize it because I've imagined that I've fixed myself 
Sure, God gave me the power to fix me, but I fixed myself, really. I, I, I managed to do the praying every day, and I managed to read the Word every day, and I, I managed to uh, screw up my willpower, and I stopped the sin that was in my life. I started to imagine I fixed myself, and anybody could be just as godly as me if only they could fix themselves to be like me. It gets worse because this is idolatry. This is what it is to replace God. You see, where I started with God saving me because of his grace and his mercy, I have moved to the point where I honestly believe I'm acceptable before God because I've fixed myself. And worse, I start telling other people, you need to fix yourself and be just like me so that you can be acceptable to God too. And the God that I now have is me. Sure, I'll, uh, I'll pretend that it's the real Jesus. I'll even name this new God I have Jesus. And I'll make the rest of you follow this new God I've made, Jesus. And I'll get mad at you if you don't follow my particular God. Because my God is jealous. And my God is not merciful because my God desires that you obey me. And I can get deluded about it. Since I've renamed this Fake, false, impotent God, God. I will continue to read my scriptures. I will continue to pray. But all the time, reinterpreting the things I'm reading, the things that God is saying to me, as ways that God is affirming my own righteousness. This, by the way, brothers and sisters, is the definition of self-righteousness to imagine that you, in yourself, are righteous. Uh, it is a demonic thing. It is evil beyond compare. Because you are not righteous. I am not righteous. If we wanted to be righteous, that ship sailed in Genesis 3 of our own. The only way to righteousness now is Jesus Christ. It can go even further than that. As I provide this injustice of making everybody need to be like me, some of you will understand that I'm being a tyrant and I'm being wrong. And so then you'll come up with your own version of how to get, get to justice and you'll overthrow my injustice and replace it with another injustice of your own. And in the end, we'll just end up fighting between ourselves about my version of justice and my version of righteousness over your version of justice and your version of righteousness. And in all of this debate and discussion about who is more righteous than everyone else, we forget the righteousness of God. Is it any wonder that when this happened to the people of Israel in Amos' time, God got, well, excuse the language, righteously he really did. 
That's why you see what you see in Amos chapter 5. You see, this Amos 5 is the result of a progression. It's a progression that's been running for a very, very long time. You see, remember, Amos is a prophet from Judah, that's the southern kingdom, working in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember in Kings, where these kingdoms split. The first, at the first, what happened is the foolish son of Solomon, a guy named Rehoboam, unjustly sought to subjugate his people. He basically had two choices about how he's going to rule his kingdom. He, he had the older guys who were saying, you know, you should probably be nicer to your people and, you know, love your people and try to build them up. And then he had his young men who told him, no, you should force your people to do what you want to do. Rehoboam, being a little bit foolish, listened to the young men. He said in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 14, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. Your, my father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Understand what he's saying there. He's saying he wants to have the right to subjugate his people, to do injustice to them, to overwhelm them, to use them for his benefit, and that he's going to punish them if they don't. The result was that the northern kingdom of Israel split from the southern kingdom of Judah. They recognized that Rehoboam was a tyrant, and they recognized that they needed to split from him. They were a kingdom opposed to a tyranny that had begun to come from the house of David. Yet, to make sure that they could stay separate and apart, they built their own self-righteousness into the way they did things. This is 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 27 to 29. Jeroboam, the leader of the northern kingdom, says this. If the people go up to offer sacrifices to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord. Now, he isn't afraid of them turning to God. He's afraid of them turning to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now, if you remember the first sermon I preached in Amos, Bethel is still the center of Israel's false worship of their false god. So what had happened is the northern kingdom, in response to evil, to injustice, to problems, to all sorts of evils that were going on in the world, they created an equal and opposite evil. It's something that we often try to do when we do things in our own righteousness and in our own goodness, in our own strength. You see, it's actually possible to be opposed to evil and to still be evil. That's actually possible. It happens pretty regularly if you'll look at history. And there's a, there's a simple thing that you should probably remember when you're reading history and when you're reading about people who disagree with you about anything. Nobody is ever doing evil things or things that we recognize as evil because they're twirling their mustaches like some kind of cartoon villain. Almost everyone who does evil honestly believes they're doing good. 
That should make, give us pause, by the way. Almost everyone who does evil imagines they're doing good. The people of Israel imagined that they were doing good. They were helping the people of Israel to overthrow an evil king and to stay away from that evil king. But as a result, they created an evil God themselves. And over hundreds of years, as has been chronicled in the first four chapters of Amos, as you remember them, I'm not going to go back over it. You've got a whole bunch of people who are, in fact, using what was meant for good, for evil. They were seeking justice, but they discounted God. What was the result? When we forget God, we may get rid of a particular injustice, but we'll usually create more problems. So after hundreds of years of separation and syncretism, Amos is speaking the judgment of God on what Israel has become. It isn't pretty. As we've already seen, they subjugate the poor. This is Amos 4.1, just an example. Hear the word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink, i.e., they're busy drinking while the poor and the needy are absolutely crushed under their feet. And yet, they still believe they're righteous. They use their own definition of righteousness, in fact, to do it. And, and remember when I talked to you about Bethel, Bethel, the place of the golden calf of Jeroboam, Amos 4.4 says this, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. They're using their very view of God to do evil. And God is angry. I know we don't like to think about that. I know we don't like to think about the fact that God has the full range of emotions that we would imagine that we have. But God really does see injustice and he really does react negatively to it because it's injustice. God is justice. God is righteousness. So any unrighteousness, whether or not it's protected by our views of our own religiosity or not, God will oppose. That's why we see in verses 16 and 17 what the Lord says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. In all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst says the Lord. Think about it. I remember when I was a kid, my twin brother and I were uh, usually packed into the back seat of a car and we would drive all over North America because my parents were those kinds of people. They drove all over the place. It was, it was kind of neat, but you know, it was kind of boring sitting in the back seat of a car. This was before uh, eye devices of any kind so basically we had to count cars or you know, try to get my older sister to react to us or something because she was sitting in the front seat. And you remember the phrase that your parents probably said to you if you've ever been on such a long road trip and you've been bored and you've been doing stupid stuff to make your parents angry? Don't make me come back there. Well, imagine that 
multiplied by a thousand bajillion. Imagine that you're not merely being stupid and annoying, you're being evil. And imagine it's not your parents in the front seat of the car, but it's the God of the universe. The very definition of all things good. All good and perfect gifts come down from him, from our Father of lights, because he is literally the definition of goodness. And he's saying to Israel, I'm coming down there. But here's the weird part. The people of Israel are going to say, yay, because they're deluded. Listen to this. Amos talking to the people of Israel and explaining to them why they're crazy. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It's as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? You see, they had taken the positive view of the day of the Lord. You know, the day of the Lord, when, day, when the Lord comes, he brings his recompense. He does justice. He makes things work out right. Ultimately speaking, all things come to good and ultimate glory in God through Jesus Christ at the end of time. The day of the Lord will be a day of great justice. And the people of Israel, because they imagine they're just, they think God will be happy with them when he comes. They think God will vindicate them. They're thinking that the visitation of God will be like the salvation in Egypt, not realizing that they'd become the Egyptians. You see this promise many places in Scripture, and yet Amos works to warn them of their delusion. God is working through Amos to tell them of their delusion. That's why you see in verse 21 into 23 what he says here. Now, let's be careful. God doesn't actually despise all works of religion. He doesn't. He doesn't despise the fact that we read our Bibles and we pray. He doesn't despise people coming before him in praise and singing. He doesn't. What he does despise is when we do it in a heart opposed to him and when we do it in a way to make ourselves feel better than others and to oppress people who disagree with us. He says it this way, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. He refers to the praise and worship that normally... If it comes from a heart of someone who loves God and seeks after him, is a beautiful thing to God's ears. And he refers to it now, what they have made it into, as a noise. You see, they think that because they're do still doing the tons of religious -y stuff, 
that their hearts are then by necessity close to God. And that, brothers and sisters, that's just not true. I, I know that's a hard thing to say. I know that's a hard thing to think about right here as we sit here on a Sunday morning. And we're, I mean, we decided to actually show those stupid vaccine passports to, uh, to, uh, to each other so that we could know that we could come here. And we've taken a day off to come specifically to go to church. And I'm sorry that I'm lambasting you during this, this time that you've spent to come to church. But if you do all of that without love for God... Not only is it valueless, you might actually be doing evil. God desires not merely people who are able to say the right things or do the things that people in the world or people around us are going to say are good. It is not adequate to just simply be okay by the eyes of the people that are around you in church. Our standard is Jesus Christ. The object of our affection is not to be our church building. It's not even primarily to be our fellow believers. It's to be God primarily and then our fellow believers. Brothers and sisters, our hearts are extremely important in this whole thing. And the people of Israel had forgotten that. See, we need to be careful, friends. Religious observance is a great expression of a living faith in a loving God. But religious expression isn't itself the, the living God. Uh, your religious expression is not necessarily a living faith. The question is whether or not you actually trust in Jesus Christ. And if, if you don't, those very acts of righteousness that we do in front of one another, that people are going to say are really nice or really good or really noble, they, they could actually become not only not good things, they could become evil things. They could become self-righteousness. And allow me to just point this out. Self-righteousness is the antithesis of the gospel. If insofar as any believer is self-righteous, to that extent are they opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have to say that to myself too because I find it so easy myself to be self-righteous. To imagine that because I have a nice suit and I'm standing in front of you speaking from the, from the text of Amos that you must obviously believe that I'm a, a good godly man. And I need to be careful that my heart is after Jesus. That I'm not doing this because I love you and I do love you guys. I really do. But that primarily it's because God is good and righteous and holy, and worth far more than all of the goods in this world. That's why I preach. And insofar as I, that's not the reason I preach, insofar as I'm preaching because you guys will think well of me, I'm not only doing something not good, I'm doing evil. You see, 
And, and you can see it here in Amos. Because God is at pains to point out to the people of Israel that he is a God of grace. He's not a God of following all the rules and all this stuff. They, they've been doing all these sacrifices and stuff, and God gives Amos one single line to undercut them. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in, uh, in the wilderness, O Hiss of Israel? Back when you guys were being saved by me, did you do all of these things, these religious-y things? I mean, brothers and sisters, when we think about when we were saved, did God save me because I was a prayerful person? I'm gonna, uh, honestly, no. I didn't pray because I didn't believe in God. Was it because I was a very righteous person that I did all of the right things that God, made, that God accepted me? No, I was a sinner. I, I actually did things specifically because I thought I should. Did God save me because, I don't know, I was smarter than everybody else? And there are a good many, I, 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 I'm not stupid, but there are a good many people far smarter than I, even in this congregation. I didn't save myself. The people of Israel didn't save themselves. Brothers and sisters, today God rejoices over you, not because you're awesome. He rejoices over you because he loves you. He set his love on you through Jesus Christ. And so, yes, yes, you should actually seek to be holier. Yes, we should seek to be following God. But not because it makes us any more acceptable to God, but because we've already been made acceptable to God. Unfortunately, for Israel, the message doesn't get through. That's why Amos 5 finishes with this passage. You shall take up Sicketh your king and key on your star god. Uh, Sicketh, by the way, is just a false, uh, false tabernacle that they used to worship their false god. And Kion was a god of the Assyrians. I'll tell you, that's, that's pretty ironic considering where they're going. Your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the good God of hosts. You see, self-righteousness is a powerful, powerful drug. And it's hard to step away. In, in, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively sure that given the number of people I'm speaking to right now, because of the fact that I've talked about self-righteousness, if this has reached your heart at all, some of you are probably thinking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, he's trying to actually get himself acceptable to some group or other group. Some people are probably thinking, this is not what God is saying for me. He's saying it to other people in the next room or outside there or somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, somebody who doesn't go to Calvary. Um, I, I will repeat what I said at the beginning. We as pastors preach to the congregation in front of us. But since self-righteousness is such a powerful drug, we find it so easy to seek after it. I really want to believe I'm better than other people. Maybe not better than all of you guys, but I, there, there's some people I want to believe I'm better than. 
I want to believe I'm more righteous than some people. That's wrong. It's just wrong. And then worse, it keeps us from God. But that's not the end of this passage. That's not all we see here. Because, and this is my third point, I didn't tell you what the first two are. Probably, you pretty much gather it from what I said. We need to repent and seek a deeper righteousness. Not merely the righteousness we have in ourselves. Remember what it said in the passage just right before Amos 5, 16, where I started to read? This is from the sermon that I did last time. Seek good and not evil. Sorry, here we go. Seek good, not evil, that you may live, and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It's similar to the call to repentance, even in the midst of this passage that we have today. This is Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, lots of people have used this as a way to say that we should be just and righteous, and that is true. That's what it's saying. But be careful. Let's look at what the text actually says. It doesn't say, but make justice roll down like waters. It says, let. And brothers and sisters, this is a desert of righteousness that he's speaking into, a place where there is no water. If you've ever been to a desert, you know that water is something that you cannot produce in a desert. That's why it's a desert. So this justice that rolls down like waters, this righteousness that flows like an ever-flowing stream, it's not ours. You see, even now, even at this moment when the people of Israel are faced with the evils of what God has seen in their lives, God is saying he can still work through them. He can still bring righteousness through them. He can still bring justice through them. I can't produce justice like mighty waters. I can't do righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I don't have that much righteousness in me. But God can. God will. You see, here is, here's the question. Right now, we as believers are saved by faith. Now, not faith as if this is a magic power that I have more of that somebody else does. Faith's value and power comes from its object, not from its subject. The question is that we have our faith in God. And so, brothers and sisters, today, the call that Amos 5 puts upon us is to again turn to God and trust in Him for our righteousness. Look to Him for the values. Look to Him for the justice that we need to fulfill. Look to Him for the righteousness that we need to be. When you look to your brother or sister who is stumbling, don't tell them, be more like me. Tell them to be more like Christ. 
Tell them, more importantly, to seek the Christ who will make them more like himself. Who will accept them before they become better. I don't know if anybody has read much Tim Keller before, but Tim Keller actually puts it fairly, fairly succinctly. We ask the question sometimes, do I need to stop smoking to come to Jesus? No. You probably will stop you know, smoking too much if you do come to Jesus, um, but that's not a precondition. Do I need to stop sinning to come to Jesus? Well, if you come to Jesus, you will stop sinning. But it's coming to Jesus that's important, not the stopping sinning. We are not capable of saving ourselves. We have never been capable of saving ourselves. And so I'm not capable of saving any of you. I may want to. I may see some friends of mine walking in terrible ways and going in wrong directions, but I can't save them. But I know who can. Jesus Christ. And so what does this mean? As we walk out, of our, out those doors in a few minutes after singing a final hymn, what, we, what does this mean for us? Well, first and foremost, we need to check ourselves. Are we trusting in God for our righteousness or are we trusting in ourselves for our righteousness? Right now, are we grading the people around us because of their righteousness, because they look more like me? Well, like yourselves, or because they look like Jesus? Am I, am, am I looking at these standards as if they're things that you have to meet to be acceptable to God, or am I actually pointing you to the grace and mercy of God who says you're accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ if you have faith in him? If we are doing those kinds of things to other people, let's repent of that. And start pointing each other to Jesus. Let's not be worried about people finding their identity and being part of Calvary Baptist Church. But let's find, make sure that people find their identity in being in Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to be glorified by looking like Steve Dahl. I'm not that glorious looking. But I'll tell you, Jesus is that glorious. And if you would look like him, you will be glorious. Continue to do acts of righteousness, but don't do them so that you can be acceptable to God. Do them out of the outflow of the joy that comes from knowing you are accepted in God through Jesus Christ. Lest we fall into the idolatry that destroyed the Israel of Amos' time. Again, we need to put our trust in Christ. That's the second application. Uh, I went to a service Monday night uh, at a, an Anglican church for an ordination. And there's this part of their service of communion that I really, really like. I grew up with it, actually. I didn't really grasp the value of it until much later. It's called the comfortable words. They say this after, the re after people have confessed their sins to God. And here's how it goes. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. And these are reminders I would like us to keep in our hearts as we go. Jesus speaking here, not me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You recognize that one as John 3.16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save righteous people? No. He came to save sinners. That's 1 Timothy 1.15. And finally, this is my personal fave. If anyone sins... If anyone sins, brothers and sisters, if today you are in sin, if you find yourself incapable of fulfilling the role that God has called you to be and you find yourself lost and you're despairing, here's what God tells you. We have an advocate with the Father, not just Steve Daw and not just the people around you. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and more than just uh, a nice guy who tell, who, who'll put in a good word for us. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And as we believe in, in God, as we trust in him, as in we trust in him for our righteousness, let us be a people that let justice roll down like mighty waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's seek the ways that God calls us to show love to those around us, friend or foe. I mean, it's one of the interesting things about Christianity. We're probably the only religion in the world that pointedly tells you, love your enemies and do good for those who persecute you. That's direct quote, Complete command, Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if somebody loves you or hates you, do good for them. Let us be the salt and light we're called to be. Let us be the people that God has made us to be. Not based on ourselves, but on the gift of God. The gift of God who tells us we are his children. We are acceptable. We are his, not on our own righteousness, but on his. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't like praying this part, but I, I think, feel I have to. I pray, Lord God, that whatever you would have my brothers and sisters hear from us, from your word, I pray that it came through. I pray those things that were uh, dumb and were unacceptable, I pray that they'll forget them. But I pray that ultimately people will come to know you and love you and seek after you through your word preached. Lord God, you are the Messiah. You have said that we are your children and you have given us the acceptance we need. Lord God, please turn us from our own righteousness that we might trust in yours. This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. God's people said, amen.